We gather on Sunday because Sunday is what? The first day of the week. And when we gather on the first day of the week, we are gathering because that's the day Jesus rose from the grave. Actually, we gather also because that's the day the church was born. The day of Pentecost, which was also the first day of the week, a Sunday. We also gather on the first day of the week, Sunday, because that's the day the Apostle Paul met with the churches. He preached until 12. That's the day they gathered together to break bread. That's the day they came to hear the word. That's the day they came to bring their offering. It's the first day of the week. Told all the churches, bring your gift on the first day of the week, on Sunday. But there's another reason why we gather on Sunday, because we give God the first of everything we have. We give God the best of our day. Early in the morning will I, will I seek Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. He is the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Put nothing before Him. He wants to be first. Do not let go of your first love. <laughs> you know, you can go through scriptures from beginning to end. The law of the first matters. What you do first matters what happens because what you do first determines what happens next, right? So when we glorify God on the first of the day, we are giving Him the first of our week. It's an important thing. We are ordering our week after Him. We start with rest and therefore we work for Him. We don't work in order to rest like they did in the Old Testament. We rest because of what He did and because of what He did, we work from a place of rest. It's not by the arm of the flesh. It is by the Spirit of God. Amen? That we live. But before I get into the Word of God today, uh, which is going to be a very new kind of direction we're going to take, uh, I first wanted to just show you uh, Trish Hall actually has had a few women's meetings. And so, Trish, thank you for doing that. Has had a few, she's hosted a few breakfasts. Is that what it's called? You call it ladies' breakfasts. Is that right? And uh, she's had a few. This was this week. So we thank the ladies that came. Thank you for hosting it. We appreciate it. And uh, we're looking forward to Tom hosting the men. <laughs> no, pressure. no pressure, Tom. Was I supposed to say that, Trish? I don't know. <laughs> and then also, of course, we've welcomed Sid's beautiful bride, Tetum, uh, to the congregation and to the United States and to marriage. Let's go. We also... Tina had a, had a welcome party to Tetum. That's the, that was the cleaning afterwards at, what, 1 o'clock in the morning. And, um, yeah, there's Tetum's party. And they had to take a picture in the beginning because it got wild right after that moment. <laughs> As a matter of fact, so Dave took me and the kids out so that the house could be void of all men. And uh, we, went, we went out to dinner. And we were like, when, when are they calling us back, you know? It, and so when we were ready to go back, I got a text. She said, oh, we just started eating. I'm like, wow, the night started late, huh? Uh, we thought we were going to be home. That was the time they sat down to eat. Anyhow, so we went around to a Starbucks. We got kicked out because they closed, and we were searching for open places where the kids can also go. And eventually when we got home, which was, I think, midnight run about there. It was so loud in the house when we pulled up in the parking lot. And uh, we thought, hey, let's go see what the big party is all about. As we walked in, it was like this. 
You could hear a pin drop. I'm like, Dave, they're talking about us. <laughs> so husband, if your wife was there, she talked about you. <laughs> so no worries, Steve. I don't know why you're blushing. <clears throat> we're going to find out later. But this is how we're going to find out, men. We're going we're gonna to put a fund together and we're going to raise money because Tetum actually recorded the whole um, counseling session. She recorded what all the ladies told her. And so <laughs> she put the price really high. We will buy that recording. I'm interested in what, to know what Tina said about. That's all right. We'll have a men's meeting. That's okay. Keep sowing, you will reap. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> Other than just Sid. <laughs> so family, what I want to do is I wanted to start a brand new short series called Enemies of God. Enemies of God. Understanding the chaos of our time. Understanding the chaos of our time and... Identifying the bad ideas and the believable, believable lies people have bought into. And we find in that verse that Alex read earlier, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, we do not walk according to the flesh. It is important for us to have, to be brought out and bushy-tailed as we walk through this world and through this life and through this time, through this era, through this culture. You can't be living with yesterday's wisdom, yesterday's grace, yesterday's mercy, yesterday's level of understanding God's will for your life, when in fact evil has progressed. You know the Bible says in the last days, people will become inventors of evil. They will invent all new kinds of evil. And so we have to be wide awake, not woke, but awake. However, we walk in the flesh. And we are not waging war according to this flesh. We're waging war against spiritual principalities and powers, the demonic that reveals itself and expresses itself through other humans. It says, however, that for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And these are the things we are going to be dealing with in this series, strongholds. The devil has deceived people, and as he continually deceived people and tell them lies, and they buy into those lies, strongholds exist within their minds. It's called an ideology. It's a bad idea. It's destructive not of their lives, their futures, their ability to come to Christ, but also of the world that they live in. People have bought into ideas that have destroyed the family. They've bought into ideas that have destroyed the patriarchy. They've bought into ideas that, that are absolutely anti-God at every front. But it tells us in verse 4 that we destroy, you and I, destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, arguments and opinions that raised that are raised up against the knowledge of God. So you take the knowledge of God on the one hand, which is the revealed will of God, the Bible, and you have worldly concepts and ideas that raises itself up against that knowledge. 
And it says right here that we are to destroy those arguments that lifts itself up against God. We are to take every, here it is, thought, idea. When it says thought, you can put ideas in there. Or even better still, ideologies. Ideologies. You can put ideologies in there. So we are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raised itself up against the knowledge of God and take every thought, idea, and ideology captive to obey Christ. That is a mandate you and I have received from God Himself. So for those who are new to biblical Christianity, most people are from kind of Christian background, but many are new to biblical Christianity. Uh, there is such a thing as a demonic spirit. And therefore, demons do exist. And I'll prove it to you out of the Bible. The Bible warns you and I in the New Testament, we're not talking about the Old Testament, warns us in the New Testament not to believe the doctrines preached by demons. Second, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, it says now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Can you see that? Teachings of... Oh, could you change that for me? 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of Demons, you can change that. You can follow me. Let's see. Thank you. Teachings of demons. I want to make sure everybody sees that this is actually in scriptures. So when you turn on the TV and you listen to a minister, you don't know. <laughs> if that's not rooted in scripture completely, if it's foreign to scriptures, it's very possible that it was inspired by the demonic. So that means there are demons who are actively spreading evil doctrines from pulpits, evil beliefs. Where doctrines preached from? Pulpits. Where are evil belief systems preached from? That is exactly what we will be dealing with in this short series called The Enemies of God. And we will also learn how to pull down these doctrines of demons. In the book of Chronicles, in the Old Testament, we are introduced to a list of tribes of Israel who gathered together around David. Because David was now God's new king. The only problem is Saul, the previous king, was still alive and still on the throne. Saul was jealous of David. Saul wanted to kill David. He chased David around for 14 some years. He was hiding in caves. But the thing is that God said he was ripping the kingdom away from Saul because Saul was disobedient to God and God favored David. He placed his anointing upon David. And so everybody, because Samuel anointed David, knew that David was the next king. And so they started gathering around David to get him onto the throne. Among these men who formed this army were the sons of Issachar, who were gifted by God in a very special way. 
They were gifted with an ability to discern the times in which they lived. Uh, they were able to understand the culture of their times. Let's read that in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. The Bible says, Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times. These were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. There were 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. All right, so we see that these were 200 men in David's army who came to his help or to, to support him, to get him onto the throne and to remove Saul from the throne. And because these 200 men understood the times in which they were living, they also understood what Israel was supposed to do. And this is what we are after. We are after allowing God to give us understanding of the times so we too are able to know what to do. How many of you would love to know how to respond to our chaotic culture? Yeah. Well, this is somewhat similar back in the old, old days, ancient times where the sons of Issachar, they understood the times and God therefore allowed them to know how to respond to their times. So the question is, do you have understanding of the times you live in? Do you have insight into postmodern culture? Do you have insight into what God is currently doing on the earth in the United States here in our church? Do you have understanding as to what Satan is currently doing? Do you have understanding of what the people are currently doing and why they do what they do? You turn on the news and you are constantly just shocked. You go like, all right, I thought I saw it all, but now, now we just went to another level. Scriptures clearly states regarding these sons, quote, they were men who had understanding of the times, therefore knew what to do. So in other words, the implication is that if you do not know the time in which you live, you would not know how to respond. The implication is that if the church doesn't know the time, then the church wouldn't know how to respond. And this has been true of the church, always mission drifting. We have, we have so many issues we're dealing with today. Severe issues. 12-year-old girls. 13-year-old boys. Mutilating their sexual organs. Publicly on, on, on Instagram and on social media using hormone blockers, girls growing beards, boys growing breasts. And you know what the church is talking about? We can actually sit around my computer and I can show you what the number one issue is that's being discussed amongst church leaders today in the United States. Christian nationalism. The threat of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is people who believe that we ought to have a redeemed government and they ought to govern with biblical conscience. Who doesn't want that? Well, we don't want Christian nationalism because there's separation between church and state and we don't want to repeat what happened in England because now Church of England became the we, we don't want the state to be our church or our church to be our state. We get it. 
But that's not what Christian nationalism is. Christian nationalism, you can define it any which way you want, but do you see a threat? Do you see where the Christian church is busy establishing for themselves a Christian government that will make it illegal to build a mosque? Do you see that happening? Well, this is what they're concerned about. They're concerned about the church getting into the government to the place where they will legislate against other faiths. This is what the church is concerned about today. Well, I have a question for you. Make your pick. You have one of three choices. Really, one of four. All right? Anarchy. Check that box. Tribalism. Check that box. Nationalism. You can check that box. Or globalism. Which one do you want? Which box? You see, ministers can't answer that question. But they're all concerned about Christian nationalism. You know, there's a story that, uh, that needs to be verified, but the, prim- the premise of it is true. Is that before the nation was invaded completely, you know where the church was? They were down in the basement voting on when the fly falls into the holy water. Does the fly become holy or does the water become unholy? And so they were arguing and arguing about which one becomes holy. Does the, is the fly holy now or is the water unholy? When they came out of their meeting, they had no longer had a nation. And so the church oftentimes constantly runs off to the wrong thing. Why? Because we don't have sons of Issachar, that's why. We don't have people understanding the times. And when they don't understand the times, they don't know what to do. So it is my prayer that we, as a congregation, we won't simply be fascinated with end time events and prophecy, and, but that we would have an understanding of the times that we live in, that we would recognize the spirits, the evil spirit at work that's causing people to think a certain way that we will be able to address those lies, what, with truth. We're not looking for the truth about where did Hillary's 33,000 emails go? That's not the truth we're looking for, right? We're looking for the biblical truth because it's the only kind of truth that can conquer the lies in people's minds. But the reason people run off to stupid truth and they think that that is the truth that they, that they need to discover is because, look, if you find out, if a person finds out what happened to Hillary's 33,000 emails, did they get saved? Is that saving truth? No, it's not. Okay, so we're not looking for that truth. We're looking for God's truth, all right? Because it's God's truth that can conquer Satan's lies. So let's consider our time for a moment, the time in which we live. Our era. How many of you were born in the 60s? Can I quickly see by a show of hands? You were born in the 60s, all right? How many of you were born before the 60s in the 50s, all right? Okay, how many of you? <laughs> all right, so, we, so you understand times have changed. Now, if you fell asleep in the year 1960 and you woke up in the year 2000, which is 23 years ago, you would have woken up to the fact that Divorce rates doubled, teen suicide tripled, 
violent crime was up four times, prison population was up five times, children born out of wedlock was up six times. You would have woken up to a completely different world, different time, different era. The George Barna Group have put out, put out statistics on religious trends in the U.S. for the last 40 years. They identify what is now known as, quote, post-Christian America, post-Christian America. This study identifies post-Christian Americans as people who, and here's the, here's the filter or here's the um, criteria. These are people who do not believe in God. They identify as atheists or as agnostics. They have never made a commitment to Jesus. They do not. They claim to not be born again. They believe that the Bible is filled with errors and they believe Jesus was a sinner. These are people, if you check those boxes, a person who checks all those boxes will fall within the category called post-Christian America. And so post-Christian America is on the upswing in a very, very uh, um, robust way. And so here are the top 10 most Christian cities, excuse me, here are the top 10 most post-Christian cities in America. Uh, let's just throw that up. I want to read you just the, you have Portland number one. <laughs> I'm sure most could have guessed that. But look at Portland, 57% actually fill, you know, meet that criteria. Complete atheist, believe the Bible is filled with errors, Jesus is a sinner. There's no such thing as being born again. Boston, 56. I mean, they're all above the 50s. Any with Buffalo at 50. So that means in those 10 cities, major cities, more than half of the people that live there live, uh, uh, are identified as post-Christian America. Now, watch this quick. To the same degree, you can take that all, thank you. To the same degree in which we see the decline of biblical faith in the USA, to that same degree, we see the increase of chaos in our culture. Those two graphs are absolutely related. We see the chaos in our culture in multiple areas. And I just want to refresh your memory. If you haven't page through your Facebook in the last two hours, <laughs> that there's a war on gender. We see the, the news media, educated politicians, Ivy League college professors who actually cannot define the difference between a man and a woman. Beyond the fact that they can't define what a woman is, they also stand for women's rights. That's how insane they really are. They have, in true Marxist fashion, turned men against women and women against men. That's Marxism. Finding, finding subcategories or subcultures within society and turning them up against each other. Men against women. Old against young. Nationality against another nationality. Poor against rich. And uh, so that's, in true Marxist fashion, they have turned gender against one another. They do things like, hey, who are the greatest criminals in our, in our society? Men. Men fill our prisons. Who are, the, who, who, who are the most violent? Men. Well, then what's the problem? The problem we have is being a man, is being as a problem. 
So guess what? How do we solve this problem? Be more like women. That's how we solve this problem. And that's, hey, youth, that's what they're teaching our kids at school. We took our son out of school because every single time, well, one year, the last year he was in school, I went to the principal six times. That principal, she was so glad we left. <laughs> Every time we walked into the school, I said to my wife, I said, Tina, it feels like I just walked into a 10-year-old girl's birthday party. It was, so, it was so emasculating walking into that school. Egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is rife, especially in the church instead of complementarianism, where each play their role. Women play their role. Men play their role. Husbands have a role. Wives have a role. And they complement one another. And God is the one who designed, designed what that role is to be. That's complementarian. Egalitarianism is, no, I can be pregnant too. We've never had one male give birth but no, men can be pregnant. We're all the same. We're all equal. Except when it comes to plumbing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Dave, you used to be a plumber. How many ladies did you work with? <laughs> I mean, our sports, it's a joke. I remember having this argument. I worked at Minards for two years. Minards. So. And they would just go like, <clears throat> can we please have a man in aisle number seven? Can we please have a man in aisle number seven? I'm like, why do you want a man in aisle number seven? No, there's this big box over there. I'm like, no, you move it. <laughs> or you, you, you admit I win the argument. <laughs> So we see chaos in culture because Marxism has done that, and I can feel it, even in this room. People go like, mm, you shouldn't be going there. You shouldn't be going there. Wait, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you about ideas that have destroyed us. And these are doctrines that have destroyed us. And these doctrines were, 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 were preached, are preached by demons. And I'll show you. Okay? So just pace your anger. <laughs> So we see chaos in our culture, the war on gender. Our boys are being emasculated. We see public schools indoctrination instead of education, training our young people sodomy, transgenderism, etc., in the name of education. I'm amazed that when I look at those pictures of some some freakish kind of looking guy at a library and you see the parents there going, oh, I don't understand. I really don't understand that. You let your kids around that? Now, they can be crazy all they want. But since it's, it's sexual by nature and you let your kids around that, I don't understand that. That is what Romans chapter 1 says, that God actually judges a person with his wrath by making them not think clearly. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at that in Scripture too. In other words, 
when you see somebody who has zero logic, who, whose mind is completely dysfunctional, that is the wrath of God in action. We see a war on marriage by legalizing same-sex marriage. Hand-in-hand hand with same-sex marriage movement is the fight against the destruction of the patriarchy. We don't want the regular traditional family unit. We don't want the regular traditional marriage. The moment we even consider the concept, the traditional biblical family unit has been undone. It has also become legal to mutilate underage children's bodies without parental consent or parental knowledge of it. Schools in certain areas are legal to withhold that knowledge from the parent. Famous religious leaders and religious figures are publicly deconstructing their faith. You know that. We've talked about it in, de in depth at this church. Every time a celebrity minister or artist, performer, deconstructs his faith publicly, it sends shockwaves through the youth of the American church. We see non-Christian celebrities are filling our pulpits, our Christian stages, TV screens, preaching their version of who God is. According to a news outlet called the State General Register, I'm um, just reading this. This is one. There are so many of these Christian artists who have come out of the closet. But here's Jennifer Knapp. I don't know if you know her, but uh, I used to listen to her about 10 years ago. She's an award-winning Christian artist who is now openly gay. This article said this, quote, So the 38-year-old Kansas native is as shocked as anyone with her newfound role as a gay Christian artist urging fellow Christians to affirm homosexuals. And she finds herself singing and making her case in the most unlikely of venues, churches. We also have another Christian gay artist who goes by the name Semler, uh, who became the number one, who climbed to the number one um, spot on the Christian music charts during COVID. Oh. Openly gay. As a matter of fact, mo most mainline denominations in the USA are now embracing the LGBTQ+. What does plus stand for? Children? I'm not sure. So ma most mainline, plus is whatever, right? Most mainline denominations in the USA are now embracing the LGBTQ+, open-ended, agenda, and even ordaining homosexuals and transgender, transgender clergy. Here is uh, an image of, if you don't mind, the Reverend Megan Rohrer. She's pastor of San Francisco's Grace Evangelical, Evangelical Lutheran Church. Evangelical Lutheran Church was elected bishop for uh, the Sierra Pacific Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Now, you can please take that down. When you look at this picture of our times, I wanted to let you know that that picture there is prophetic of a future government, all right? And here's what I mean by that. The principle is that the government of a nation is downstream to the culture of that nation. Make sense? The culture, what do politicians do? Politicians do. They create for themselves a platform a set of principles that they're going to stand by and what they're going to enforce when they take office. 
And the way they come up with that is they survey the culture and to see how much support can I get. What do I need to stand for in order to get your support? What must I do to get your vote? All right, so that's what happens. That's why government is downstream from culture. However, culture is downstream from church. That's why when you look at old-time pictures of a city, you'll see in the middle of the city, there is a church with a high steeple. It's from, it's from, the, um, it's from, the, um, from Exodus, from Moses. You know, when they traveled, they always, they always camped around the tabernacle. It was the point of reference. So the government is downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from the church. Or you might say from the pulpit, because the pulpit sets the tone in regards to marriage and family. And as the marriage goes, so goes the family. And as the family's family goes, so goes the culture. And as the culture goes, so goes the government. That's why when you look at that picture, you see a future government. So how does a strong godly nation like ours end up crumbling? How does a strong godly nation like ours end up crumbling? A nation that was once a beacon of light for Christianity in all of the world and was responsible for funding the gospel around the world, how does a nation like this crumble under the pressure of wokeism? Well, the answer is through bad ideas that's been introduced, through believable lies that people buy into. Um, Think about it. Lucifer himself bought into a deadly idea that he could be sitting on God's throne. Equality, 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 equality is all you hear all time. That's exactly what Luther, uh, Luther, that's what Lucifer believed. Think about Eve. Eve bought into an idea. Just like Lucifer bought into an idea, Eve bought into an idea that she could be like God even if... You know, she would only be, if only she would disobey God. She can be like Him by eating the forbidden fruit. You know, that's Marxism in action. Here's Eve. Think about it. The snake comes and the snake says, Marx comes and Marx says to her, Hey, he's the have, you're the have not. That doesn't need to be the case. Why don't you eat from this tree and you too will have? So she bought into an idea. Another, another idea, not just Marxism, but she also bought into humanism. Man elevating himself compared to God. Here you have Judas, the son of perdition. He, he bought into a lie. He believed the lie that he could sell Christ and get away with blood money. Churches today are selling religion like anything. They're selling Jesus and they're making big bucks. But that didn't lead to what he thought it would. It led to suicide because bad ideas always kill. And we've been called to address these ideas by pulling them down. Every lie that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we are to pull down and destroy. And that's what this is about, this series is about. So, some of these ideas that we have to identify, see what it is, 
what it believes, where it came from, what it's out to do to you, to your family, to society, to the church, and to the world. Some of these ideas, some of these doctrines taught by demons include, and we go through all of these in this short series, liberalism, secularism, humanism, Marxism, Darwinism, the list goes on and on, egalitarianism. Whenever you see a suffix, ISM, attached to a word, you know that that suffix brings with it an entire world of ideas, right? So, for instance, um, I am a human, right? But what I am not is I do not ascribe to humanism. Uh, Humanism comes with a whole entire truckload of ideas I completely disagree with, even though I am a human. For instance, you have a secular job, but I'm almost convinced you do not ascribe to secularism because there's a message, there's an ideology behind that word-ism. There's a philosophy, a system of ideas, a systematic way of thinking, and you may have a secular job, but that does not make you secularist. So today, what we want to do is We want to look at the very first one only. I want to introduce it to you, liberalism. But the word liberalism, we have to look into it um, from two perspectives. First, there is theological liberalism. There is theological liberalism, and then, of course, there's political liberalism, as you all know. And, um, but it is my hypothesis, my understanding, that the natural flows from the spiritual, that We may be talking about two different things, but they are, in a way, very much so connected. So when you have the word liberalism, we have the suffix this, therefore we know that it's an ideology, it's a way of thinking. And we see that the word, the root word here is Lieber. The word Lieber, um, Steve, could you give me that blue one that works? Thank you. The word Lieber is um, a Latin word for free. Lieber is free, right? That's where we get the word libertas, from which we get the word liberty. Now in Dutch, which is uh, my home language is Dutch-German, in Dutch the word rechtsingen, uh, rechtsingen is the word orthodoxy. Uh, It's important to follow this train of thought. Thank you so much, Basui. Thank you. Rechtsingen is the word orthodoxy. Um, and rechtsingen is actually directly translated as right thinking, right thinking, all right? So you have rechtsingen, right thinking, orthodox. And then you have another word, also a Dutch word, which is pronounced freisingen, which is the word liberal, but not so much just liberal, but frei free, liberal thinking. So in other words, there's, there's free thinking and there is right thinking. 
free thinking versus right thinking. This means that the opposite of right thinking is in fact free thinking because the opposite of orthodoxy is liberalism. The opposite of orthodoxy is liberalism and the opposite of right thinking is free thinking. The free thinker is very, very different from the one who is free to think. Let me say that again. The free thinker is not the same person as the one who is free to think. Have you noticed? People aren't allowed to think a certain way anymore. They are not free to think. They have to be free thinker as far as morals are concerned and, uh, and the above. When referring to the free thinker, the scriptures refer to this one uh, by saying that he's ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of anything. In other words, a free thinker never comes to any kind of conviction. They're just always trying to learn more and learn more. Look at 2 Timothy 3 verse 7. 2 Timothy 3 verse 7. It says, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Nothing is ever sufficient. Nothing is ever the way it should be. Uh, you know, a lot of college students come out of the college. Guess what they're going to do? Guess what they are told to do? Go and make right. Put this world right back together. You know, like, uh, I remember going to a, to a graduation, a high school graduation in one of these towns here, which shall remain nameless. And when that high school had the graduation, it was at the now, now arena. It was packed out. And I couldn't believe the ideology that was pumped from that platform to those kids. Like, this Marks had his day. Now it's your turn, <laughs> you know. Nietzsche had his day. Now it's your turn. Every single revolutionary was mentioned. And now they told these kids, now you go out and do this. I love how Jordan Peterson says, hey, listen. First, if you can't make your bed, don't try and fix the world. <laughs> uh, you can't even fix your room, but you want to order the world? So a free thinker actually has no guardrails, no track, no protection. Whatever, wherever the mind goes, they th that's why they think. The truth is what they think. But little do they know, they don't even know how to think. They feel... And then they go like, oh, I think. No, you felt. You didn't think. Thinking and feeling are two different things. So when a theologian speaks of liberalism, so please understand here, we're going to exit your, exit your concept of politics for a little bit. When a theologian speaks of liberalism, he is referring to the 19th century theological liberalism. In this liberalism movement of the 19th century, and you can go and Google it and you'll find all the different theologians who, who were very open to the philosophers of the day, the Enlightenment, remember? And they influenced the theologians and the theologians started adopting philosophy instead of theology. What they actually did was they took philosophy of the day and they went to the Bible to establish their theology with the philosophy glasses on Really, I, I don't know, and I know a few who have majored in philosophy. And I can tell you right now, 
Almost none of them serve the Lord or can serve the Lord. All they have is an argument with God. They elevate themselves to judge God. They read things in Scriptures and they believe that they know better and God should have done it a different way. I know two philosophers or people who majored in philosophy who came with their theology to philosophy instead of with their philosophy to discover their theology. Are you following, following what I'm saying? So they, and, and they happen to be two of my favorite ministers. So Doug Wilson, of course, has two majors in philosophy, and then um, R.C. Sproul was a philosopher. But they both say the same thing. You cannot come with the philosophical mindset to try and understand scriptures. Scripture explains philosophy. Philosophy does not explain scripture. And that's what went wrong in the 19th century during the Enlightenment. And these, these theologians started what we know as the theological liberalism movement. They were seeking a common denominator of all religions worldwide. They wanted to be woke. They were, during, they were part of the Enlightenment. And so that day's mo movement of wokeness, they totally jumped in boots and all. That's why if you are part of a woke church, get out. It's not a church. They wanted to be part of this Enlightenment thing. So what they did was they wanted to find a common denominator of all religions worldwide. Instead of articulating the distinctions between religions, they wanted to remove the distinctions and find one religion. They were seeking the common thread between belief systems, and in order to find common ground between all these different religions, they had to become anti-supernatural. Because the thing that makes Jesus, Jesus, is the fact that He rose from the grave. Right? It's the fact that He was born of a virgin is the fact that He fulfilled His own prophecy by hanging on a tree and dying for you and me. Is the fact that He ascended. Without miracles, there is no Christianity. So what they needed to do was to remove the distinction between Christianity and all these other false religions, they had to do away with the supernatural. In order to find the common ground, they concluded that the miracles whether it be the virgin birth or incarnation, atonement, resurrection, ascension. All these miracles were not part of the es essence of Christianity. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the foundation of Christianity. It wasn't the most important thing of Christianity. What was the most important thing about Christianity are values and ethics. That's the essence because that's the essence of Buddhism. That's the essence of, of, of the millions of other religions that there are. Be good. Be a good person. Be nice. Be kind. What you see when you walk into a regular general public place? Be kind. Be nice. You're good. Starbucks tells you you're beautiful. You deserve better. You're fantastic. By the way, that's the exact opposite of what the Bible says, right? We are totally depraved. All we, need, all we deserve is hell, but we got favor from God. And we got it for God grace, right? It's the absolute opposite message of the Bible. So they came, these enlightened ministers, part of the 
historical woke movement came and they taught Jesus needed to be interpreted as one who taught good ethics and great values. Good ethics and great values. And these theologians decided that they can reduce Christianity to its core, to its foundational concepts. Its foundational concepts, which are the universal fatherhood of God, which is false, and the universal brotherhood of man, which is false. Let me ask you, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You are of your father, the devil. <laughs> you are of your father, the devil. What did God say to the snake? He says, your seed and her seed. What? He was going to have offspring? <laughs> yeah. But no, they wanted to, they, they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to talk about the universal fatherhood of God. Why? Because that puts everybody in one family. They wanted to talk about the universal brotherhood of man that puts everybody in the same family. It's a reduction of Christianity. And liberalism aimed to reduce Christianity to its core, to its foundational concepts, so that it could become another variation of any other religion. Here's Christianity. Yeah, it's just like Buddhism. Yeah, it's just like, it's just like everything else. All roads lead to Rome. So they basically, in essence, neuter all this, everything that makes distinction between in order to create one religion. They set out to create this one religion, a, an ethical hybrid of all religions. And in order to create one religion, one code of ethics, one set of values, they first needed to deconstruct what historical Christianity originally was. In other words, in order to create this human family, they have to deconstruct historical Christianity. You've got to grab this. You've got to understand this. In order to establish a human family with the same values, the same ethics, they had to deconstruct historical Christianity, and they did it. Theological liberalism, free thinkers, they didn't use the Scripture as guardrails for their thoughts. They don't want any guardrails. They can imagine a better world than the one God suggests. So theological liberalism or these free thinkers by nature do not conserve. They don't conserve. They're the opposite. Instead, they deconstruct. Here's Proverbs 14 verse 1 actually shows that. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Has to deconstruct everything that has already been built. So that we can all be one. So how did theological liberalism free thinkers tear her house down with her own hands? By erasing distinctions that made Christianity different from every other religion. Let me give you a couple of examples. To mesh biblical doctrine with Darwinism's theory of evolution, they teach that God and Eve, uh, God and um, Adam and Eve didn't actually exist. They were stories God used to teach about obedience and disobedience. To mesh biblical doctrine with scientific belief of an old earth theory, they teach that God never created the world in six days. 
The six-day creation story was only symbolic. The world is, in fact, millions and millions of years old. To mesh biblical doctrine with naturalism, they teach God didn't open the Red Sea. There was a sandbank where three million Jews were able to walk over. <laughs> they actually teach this. They teach that Jesus didn't rise from the grave in bodily form. No, he, he spiritually rose from the grave. I love Jordan Peterson, but that's him. Uh, these people see all major miracles that cannot be scientifically explained. Well, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's symbolic. It's spiritual. Just like Jesus rose from the grave, so you too. You need to make alive all those places in your life that's been dead. To mesh biblical doctrine with the social sciences, they teach that Jesus didn't come to deliver us from slavery of sin. Jesus didn't come to deliver us from the slavery of sin. He came to deliver us from socially and economically oppressed oppressors, to deliver us from the haves, to deliver the have-nots from the haves, as in Marxism. So the list goes on and on and on, but what they did was they erased the line that made a distinction between Christianity and all other religions, and they turned everything into symbolism in order to do away with the supernatural because they're turning science into God. We are now seeing the exact same thing happening in the natural that happened in the spiritual. That's why I'm saying that you might say, well, you know, we're talking about theological liberalism, yes, because People's theology, everybody's a theologian, right? Every, if you ask anybody anything about God, they'll tell you. Does God exist? Yes. Does God exist? No. Everybody's a theologian. Everybody has their own doctrine about who God is and who we are to Him and how we relate to Him. Right? Everybody's a theologian. Some are just really horrible. Others are biblical. Right? So what I'm saying is when these ideas, these bad ideas and these doctrines of demons are inserted into people's thought patterns, and it comes from colleges for the most part. It wasn't stopped by the church. They were busy trying to argue over Christian nationalism and flies becoming holy or water becoming unholy. They completely mission drift. They didn't answer what the people in the seats were facing. And when those ideas fill people's minds from the pulpit, in the church, to marriage, to families, to communities, therefore to societies, therefore to culture, therefore to Washington, D.C. When these ideas flow down that river, it absolutely hits government also. You see, distinctions between husband and wife has been, has been erased just as distinctions between religions have been erased. The same thing that happened in the spirit has now happened in the flesh. Now we see distinctions between husband and wife are being, an era are being erased, and now we have egalitarianism. Distinctions between male and female have been erased, now we have transgenderism. Distinctions between a normal family and abnormal family have been erased, now we have modern family. So we have all these brand new creations opposed to God's design of 
and his order of the same. The list goes on and on. You see the same spirit of liberalism that entered the church and reduced it down to look like every other religion has now ravaged our culture. The same spirit that has taken over the culture is filling the seats in government. So I'm going to end with this. What does the church do in light of our cultural chaos? What is the church's response to these bad ideas? How do we, how, how do we, how, where do we go from here? I want to mention to you that this is the first one, liberalism. Of course, we're going to talk about secularism, which is huge, but then humanism, which is even bigger, and egalitarianism, and we're going to talk about Marxism and all of these thoughts. Today, we're only dealing with liberalism because it is a root to all the rest. So what does the church do? The church has to repent from the sin of compromise. The sin of compromise. All you need to do is go to a major news outlet. Go to their top interviewer and see all the ministers that they interview. And the questions always asked or inferred, are all other religions wrong? And see them dance around that question. Colossians 2 verse 8 tells you not to compromise. Watch this. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive what? Philosophy. Which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, human tradition and demons, that's what philosophy depends upon unless you first come to it with an established theology. The church, has to, the church has to repent from drifting from the gospel and repent from teaching philosophy instead. I, I want to encourage you, um, challenge you. You'll be hard-pressed to find a modern non-denominational celebrity preacher who does not teach fun, uplifting, feel-good, motivational messages, void of the gospel, yet full of philosophy. You'll be hard-pressed to find that. People don't run after theology. They run after philosophy. The second thing the church needs to do or we need to do, so let me put, it, let me put feet to the thought. If you are in your car listening to um, those voices, then turn it off. That's the way we respond, right? Uh, we encourage... The gospel message. Secondly, the church needs to, needs to repent from the sin of guile. The sin of guile. Look at John 1 verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israel indeed in whom is no guile. What is guile? Guile is, in layman's terms, Political correctness. It's exactly what happened here. Remember what Nathaniel said? <laughs> Somebody came to him and said, Hey, we found the Christ. He's from Nazareth. That's where he's from. Nathaniel goes, No, nothing good comes from there. They're all a bunch of thieves. Everybody in Nazareth, you can't trust them. The Messiah can't come from there. That's what... That's what he said. 
And then he comes and he meets Jesus. Jesus sees him. And he says, a man, a man in whom there is no guile. There's no deceit. There's no political correctness. What's political correctness? I'm saying it in a way. I don't necessarily mean it. I'm just saying it in a way that you could swallow it. Double talk. All right, number three. In other words, the church needs to start speaking about what's actually true and what's actually false. Right? Number three, the church needs to repent from her sin of tolerance. Her sin of tolerance. We think tolerance is a virtue. No, it's a vice. It's a sin. It's something we ought to be forgiven of. We need to ask God to forgive us of this. Revelation 2 verse 20 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now listen, what's interesting here, I want to prove, prove a point here. Jezebel, Jesus is speaking about her in this church. But Jezebel lived 1,000 years before this, right? That means that woman Jezebel 1,000 years ago, the spirit that drove her is still in this church functioning. And he's saying you tolerate that spirit. We have to repent from the sin of tolerating what we know is evil. Look at this. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Ah. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Being tolerant of a contentious anti-man spirit. That's not just women. That's some of those guys you see that look like women. Those who are anti-man spirit, but they are contentious. That's a bad idea. And you may not lie. You cannot say in the face of red, go, oh yeah, that's blue, because it makes everybody else happy. That's a lie. You can't in the face of like, all right, this is a man, I'll just call you woman. You're not allowed to do that. That's a lie. That should violate your conscience. And when you do that, you actually have to go and repent, from, repent for lying. <laughs> you can't just lie. Right? So what does the church have to do? And we've run out of time like 10 times. <laughs> what is the church supposed to do? Repent from the sin of compromise. Lines need to be drawn between truth and false. That's why you go like, oh, there, goes, there he goes again. History of heresies. You know, talking about Narcissism, talking about Marcionism, talking about Arianism, talking about Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, Romanism. There he goes again. Well, that's the point, folks. That's the point. We have to repent from compromising with all um, that is false. Number two, we have to repent from the sin of guile. Stop lying and pretending you're so virtuous and you're so nice. No, you have thoughts. Be like Nathaniel and be affirmed by Christ. Let him say to you, and now here's a person with no guile. They can speak the truth and they're not scared of being hated for it. Number three, repent from the sin of tolerance. Repent from the sin of tolerance. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you forgive us as a church. Forgive us individually and forgive us as a church. Lord, that we have... 
that we came to your scriptures with our cultural glasses on. Away with culture. We come to this world with our scriptural glasses on. We are here. We were given this life by you to glorify you. Not to support ideologies because somebody else is hurting. No, our lives are here to glorify you. And may we not abuse the purpose to which you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.